continuing on from uh, previous, I, I just would like to go on to a sort of more serious sort of subject, if I could. Uh, it, it, it concerns attitudes of people in those days, um, particularly towards like what we would call ethnic minorities today, disabled people, etc. People were not much unkind, more unkind in those days, but not intentionally so. I think it was just how how we were. I mean, for instance, black people were always referred to, they were referred to as niggers and things like this. Um, but uh, on the company that I worked for, I was a, as an apprentice bricklayer, we, um, we had, the companies had to take on a certain amount of so-called sort of disabled people. And um, that's okay, and like they do today, but it, I've got no problem at all. I believe in these sort of things, but not really the building trade isn't really suitable for certain people. Certainly ones with physical stroke mental deficiencies. There was two people, Jimmy, who was great. Now he was, let's say, the easiest way to describe me, he's backward. He couldn't read or write. And um, he stuttered and uh, things. But he he was willing and he was strong. And there was no problem with him as long as he was... Um, people kept their eye on him, he was okay. But the other one, George, now he should never, ever have been allowed anywhere near a building company. First of all, he was definitely something wrong mentally, but he was also physically, his hands, they seemed to, the fingers seemed to grow back towards his wrists and he couldn't pick things up. And anyhow, he turned up on the, on the job, he was sent there, and, and the foreman sort of said to us after about an hour, I don't know what to get this bloke to do, he said, because he's definitely not a full ticket. So at, we were working in Farber at the time, and uh, there was a, a school that had a preservation order on it, and we basically what we had to do was knock down the front, extend it out about something like 20 feet, and replace the, the front as it was. So everything had, it was stone and brickwork. We had to take everything down, mark it, and then rebuild it exactly how it was. So somebody said, well, couldn't you get him cleaning the bricks up? Well, this guy cleaned 35 bricks in a week. He just stood around, and every time you, he'd be behind you, and he'd pick your tools up, the hammers and things, and he'd be waving them in the air at you, and people... Guys got a bit nervous because you never knew what this bloke was likely to do, and he he was had this strange laugh. Um, anyhow, the boss of the firm, the contracts manager, was a man called Bill Hat, and he turned up one day, and this George said, "Who's that?" And we said, "It's the contracts manager, Mr. Bill Hat," and that. So George, in, in these days, you never spoke hardly to him unless you got spoken to, and George went over to him and started talking to him. So we could see Bill Hatt not liking this, and so obviously he had a word with the foreman. And um, anyhow, uh, the, the foreman said later, he said, That's, Bill Hatt's told me I've got to get rid of him. I said, well, you know, you've got to do it then, haven't you? He said, I don't know what to say. He said, we've just got to front up. you just got to say to him, look, George, you're just not cut out for this sort of work. 
you've been here all week, all you've cleaned is 35 bricks, and uh, basically it's not for you. So he, he told him, and, and just for that purpose, Hat came back that afternoon. It was on the Friday afternoon, and he came back for something. And this George, he's walked across to Bill Hat, and he said, Oi, is your name Hat? And he said, yes. He said, well, fucking shit in it. And well, we we literally didn't know what to do. We were collapsing behind brick stacks in the heaving of laughter. And it was funny, but, uh, you know, at the time, it was hilarious. And even to this day, I still laugh when I think about it. But it it was just a case in point whereby certain people, you cannot put put them into jobs he was a danger can you imagine some him up on a scaffolding and he, he pushed people out of the way and things and he would have caused an accident whoever thought that he could work in the building trade they needed their head examined anyhow getting on to uh, far more lighter subjects um 63 i always feel was the year when it all all happened uh looking back on it I can remember we used to go out to different, I mean, they were like dance halls in those days, they weren't discos, and uh, all around in the area. On a Thursday and a Sunday, we used to go to the Agincourt in Cambly, which is still going. Um, Mondays was the Atalanta in Woking, and Wednesdays was Farber Town Hall. And uh, we used to see all the top groups of the time there. Um, Bob Potter, who later... Um, I built and owned Lakeside Country Club at, uh, at Frimley Green, which has become very famous for sporting tournaments like the Dart World Darts Championship. Bob owns it. That was how he got started, just running these things, and it was great. And and we were mods. We were always buying the latest clothes and going up. The, we used to go up to London nearly every Saturday to buy different shirts or whatever. And uh, it, it it was the the song dedicated follower of fashion. It's exactly what it was, and substitute all those numbers at the time that spoke about this sort of uh, life. They were really spot on. And in '64, um, there was these uh, bank holiday weekends where there was these massive great fights between mods and rockers, the motorbike boys, and. Uh, we don't really, me and my mates, we didn't really, really get involved. We didn't want to be, all we were interested in was pulling girls. But uh, um, the, Brighton was at the um, Wits, Eastern Wits, and there was loads of trouble at Brighton. But in the August bank holiday, we went to Hastings. Rumour got round, that was where it was all going to happen. And anyhow, we'd be out there for three or four days, I mean, Never used to change the clothes or anything. I mean, we must have stunk to high heaven. But um, it was boiling hot day, I can remember. And at Hastings, there was these rocks right out in the sea. When the tide went out, you could see them right out then. And somebody said, let's swim out there. So we thought, yeah, all right, we were all hot. So we, we did. We swam out of these rocks and laying out there. And then the tide came in. And... Um, so we better go back. Well, of course, we didn't have any swimming gear. We, had, we were swimming in our jeans in Levi's. And they got heavy as hell. And, and it was right struggle to get back to the to the beach. And one of the lads nearly drowned. And uh, it, it, it really did teach me a lesson. But we used to 
we had this old tent, and, and that's in the laugh, how, that, how we got hold of that. A couple of the boys were working in um, uh, one of the Aldershot army camps, and they needed something to cover all their, their tools and equipment. And some of the people working at the army barracks and that there said, well, there's some um, big uh, army ground sheets over there, tarpaulins, you can use those. So they grabbed this one with his tarpaulin and uh, used it, and they kept another one spare. Anyhow, somehow along the line, don't ask me how, one of the, it ended up in one of the bloke's car. And uh, my mate said, oh, we've got this bloody ground sheet that... Uh, um, it's, it's a tarpaulin he said is it any good to you and I said no I don't want it we can open it up and have a look but when we opened it up it wasn't a ground sheet or a tarpaulin it was a tent it was an army tent so we thought oh <laughs> well we'll have this so we didn't open it up totally unfold it when eventually we did when we were down at um, one of these like somewhere down in Brighton or something for the weekend at some camp site it held about 25 bloody people. It was a monster. But uh, we had no poles or pegs with it. We, we tied it... Once, we, we tied it to the railings at Brighton Racecourse uh, uh, to hold it up and, and onto the side of the car. But... Uh, and then uh, two or three times it collapsed and you'd wake up with, like, soggy canvas all over your face and, and looking at some girl who's lying next to you and thought, where the hell she's come from? But... Uh, you know, that was those days. And then later in the winter time, um, we, we, we used to go to this, um, we used to go up to London at, at the weekends to a club called, the, mainly to a club called the Flamingo, which was downstairs from what is Ronnie Scott's in Wardour Street. And uh, uh, they were called all-nighters and they, they'd start about midnight and go on till six o'clock in the morning. And... It was really where I'd got solely into um, R&B music because the resident sort of there was um, Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames and they'd have Zoot Money um, uh, and often um, the animals used to uh, go there um, and people like that used to play uh, but the main reason, which I think what it was, was it was at the start of all this drug scene in in, uh, in London, and you could have these. Well, they called them purple arts and French blues. So basically, they were amphetamines. Um, you'd get like a matchbox full for about I don't know a shilling in old money, five p, and uh, we'd swallow these things like bloody sweets, and uh, and talk and talk rubbish and chew chewing gum all the time. I can remember and dribbling and ah. Oh, it must have looked a right state, but the the music was was brilliant, and um, I can remember seeing people like Julie Driscoll who, and Brian Auger Trinity, um, uh, names that probably don't mean anything today. Long John Baldry, they um, f uh, formed a band called the Steam Packet, but Julie Driscoll went on to uh, as a singer, and she had a big hit with Bob Dylan's Wheel on Fire, which is used today for the um, theme music for Absolutely Fabulous, uh, which, not that that's relevant at all, but uh, uh, that's who she was. Um, and then around about that time, I got my first car, and I was, really thought I was great. 
It was a Ford console, Mark II console, 407 EPL. Now, I've had loads of motors since, but that one, I can always remember the number plate. Well, we used to pile in there, because uh, it had a bench seat, and um, uh, you old six people, but we used to have about 11 people in there, and 12, all sitting up on people's laps, and girls we never even knew, and one thing or another. Well, it got so bad that... Where the doors kept get slamming and, and things, with people in and out all the time, the door locks broke on both the back doors, and to hold the doors together, uh, we, we had to tie scarves from one side of the door handle to the other one to hold the doors together. Then the bench seat broke in the front, and I can always remember uh, taking this girl out one night, and I sort of parked up somewhere, and the bench seat, it suddenly, the back of it broke down, and she shot up, and she said, what's happening? I said, you're about to find out.